You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I am Vinolia. I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia Podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I am Vinolia and I connect businesses with talented data professionals across Sydney. Today I am joined by Richard Savoy, who is the CEO at uh, Ediona, as well as Tim Armstrong, who is the Director for Digital Technology Platforms and uh, Data at Nova Entertainment. And we will be discussing um, choosing the right data team to enable scalability. Um, so before we delve deeper into the topic, um, let's just work our way around the room. Um, and I say the room, but there's only <laughs> two of you guys. Um, and just get some um, introductions. Um, Tim, do you want to kick us off? Oh, good. Thanks, Manoli. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, as mentioned, my, my name's Tim Armstrong. I'm the uh, Director of Digital technology platforms and, and data at Nova Entertainment. So we are the, the radio business with uh, Spoo FM and Nova FM is our key uh, radio station. So we don't only have you know, 20 odd uh, radio stations across the Australian market, but a podcast network of 400 plus titles. So my role is, is very much focused there on how we continue to build out um, our digital ecosystem to support digital growth and in, in listening um, and revenue. Um, but also look at the opportunities which exist to help sort of transform our business over time and make us more digitally capable, especially um, when it comes to uh, the role of technology and data. So good to be here. Amazing. Thank you for that wonderful um, introduction, Tim. Um, Richard, do you want to go next? Hi, Benolia. Yeah, thanks. And uh, thanks for inviting me to be here. It's very exciting. And I'm the CEO and co-founder of Adiona, and our software and algorithms power millions of deliveries for some of the biggest brands in Australia, uh, both business to business and business to consumer deliveries of different types of products. And in doing so, we capture billions and billions of data points uh, around those deliveries, end-to-end times, locations, invoice records, all sorts of interesting data that comes through. So. Um, Manipulating that data and also using machine learning to improve our services over time uh, is really important to our business. And so I'm really excited to, to discuss, um, you know, building teams around scalable architecture today. Amazing. Thank you so much for that great introduction, um, Richard. Um, now that we've established um, a context into each of you guys, um, let's move on to the topic in focus for today. And um, you've you know, both brought forward statements um, on choosing the right data team to enable scalability. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll work around the room, just, you know, posing your statements and then asking you guys to, you know, give more insights on that. Um, so let's start with yourself, um, Tim. And you wanted to discuss not the usual data person. What does that mean? Do you want to give us more information on that? I like that, Tim, by the way. I was, I was impressed when I saw that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, look, I, 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 it's, it's interesting, right? So, you know, I'm not a, a native, data native by nature. I, I guess I've come up through the digital um, ecosystem and, and slowly as time has sort of moved by, sort of uh, found myself gravitating more and more into the data space. And, 
The opportunity we've had here at Nova Entertainment is around how we build a, a data team from a, a very low base or, or scratch in some cases. And and albeit some of what we've done in this space is quite greenfield, but in in my experience and um, the observations I've made, um, you know, within our business, but also talking to a lot of my peers in the industry is that, you know, there's always this consistent narrative around struggling to find resources. And I've un- tried to unpack that with them a little bit more. And what I've found is that it's because there's these very stringent and sort of uh, black and white sometimes prescriptive requirements around what that data person needs to be. And if I think back on how we have sort of progressed here at Nova, the the performers or higher performers in my data team are people who don't really have a data background. Um, they come from environments and different industries. Um, they've displayed probably a really good set of um, soft skills and things around initiative, problem solving, communication. Um, which has allowed them to bring a bit more of an open mind to the work we've done on building data out within our business. Um, And I think that what that's done for us has also brought perspective to the table in terms of bringing that different things. So it's just like anything is, you know, you find someone who's an expert in an area and they've been that for, for 10 years and they're very, very good at that. But ask them to do anything outside of that and things and fall over or things there may not be the effectiveness that we've that you've anticipated from that role so i know for us in particular and the way that i like to run my data teams is really about you know coupling business context with capability of the individual um and therefore yeah when we go to market and i look for people to come into my team whether it's in data or any other specialism i try to look for the person that someone else wouldn't choose um not because i just want to be different but we're starting to see that some of those other skills outside of those deep experts or those deep areas of expertise are more and more important. And I think as we go through a relatively tough year from an economic standpoint um, and see a lot of businesses cutting funding to their data programs, we start to think a lot more about the fact that you know the data teams of tomorrow, the data leaders of tomorrow also, again, need to be of that different profile and they need to be more business savvy as well in terms of understanding the ins and outs of how the business runs. So, yeah, for us, it's been, I think, something that we follow very closely on trying to figure out, you know, the, the I wouldn't say the needle in the haystack, but the people who others might overlook because they don't have the right list of credentials and finding people who are willing to learn, uh, have the desire to want to get stuck in and who want to take on things that um, others might not want to. Yeah. So where, where do you usually get these? Well, like what, what type of profile would you say you look for? Like, is it somebody that has like a technical background, but not necessarily like in the data space? Or is it somebody that's more like business focused, like maybe say like, you know, a business analyst that's going to come, that's more interested in the, you know, technical data space? Yeah, for, for the most part, it's looking for people who look to have a good balance of experience across commercial and technical. Um, I kind of look at um, the way in which they talk about the work that they've done and the way in which they sort of, uh, the things that they have done and, and talk about have that they have been doing. Um, it's not always yeah that straightforward. Sometimes it takes a lot of coffees to kind of find the right people. But when you find the right people and you see the things that light them up and and you walk away um, 
and think about how do, how do I adapt this role to this individual um, as opposed to how do I um, adapt this individual to that role um, is very important. But I think the other part is that I'd like to have a very large involvement in my in the recruitment of people across my team as well. Um, so it, it can be challenging to find those people. Obviously, you've got to build good networks and you've got to be able to leverage your network in the right way. Um, but if you think about the application process, one of the things that um, if I look at some of the better hires I've made in the last couple of years, they included cover letters, cover letters which most people think are dead. Um, but yeah. the cover letter is a, a mechanic to help you show a bit of your personality to the hiring manager. Um, and if you can do that in the right way, regardless of what your CV looks like, if you've got a great cover letter that captures my attention and shows um, good sort of awareness of the space and what's going on and the challenges, um, then then you're very likely to get a phone call from me. Wow, interesting. What are your thoughts, uh, Richard? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I, I do have a complimentary take. You know, I agree with, with all of that. Um, the one thing that I think is changing dramatically is just the landscape of people that have alternative education when it comes to being data data manipulators, you know, engineers, architects, data analysts, you know, they, there's people now that have learned so much in for free online um, and a lot of it that is valid and useful. And then it becomes more a separator of, again, choosing based on more of the soft skills uh, that can be so important. And as somebody who's, I've, you know, managed probably hundreds of engineers now over my career, and I find that the ones that the, the work the best in my teams are just the ones that are most curious. Um, curiosity is, is not to be underrated or, or underweighed when it comes to how well someone can do with the right coaching. Because I think curiosity, one who's willing to, to guide it a little bit, um, can be an incredibly powerful thing for people who are especially involved in technical data roles. Yeah, I actually have uh, one person I hired probably about seven or eight years ago now. Um, they had applied for a role um, in the company I was working at the time, and it was a slightly identical role. Um, they were currently working in a beer brewery, um, and they were helping brew beer, and, and that was sort of their job. They were helping sort of manage all that. And when I went through the first interview with the person, I was like, hey, there's something there's something interesting about this individual. It's the way they hold themselves, the way they talk, the way they think about things. And I went away and I set a task for the, for the second um, interview, and I, and I said two things. I said, I want you to create me a presentation, um, and I want you to... to educate me on how an ad server works um, which I, I knew how an ad server works but it was a test for that individual and then secondly I want you to write me um, a project plan and a, and a scope for um, the process or the a project of buying a car um, and when what he came back to me or that individual came back to me was impressive to the point where I walked out of that meeting, went straight to the HR team and said, I found my candidate, let's offer them a job. And they came in and they were um, incredible. Like one of, you know, I don't know whether it was a fluke. Um, <laughs> I do hope that it was um, the process I went through, but they, they turned out to be an, an incredible hire. Um, and the test was, is that 
if you need an answer for something, then a good individual will find you that answer. They may have it, they may know someone who has it, or if they don't, they will find a way to get it to you. And Google is just mm-hmm. as good a companion as, as anyone else. So um, it goes back to those soft skills. And if you get the right, like um, you know, Richard said, the curiosity with direction, um, you know, can be be very powerful. And the barrier to entry is is low, right? Everyone has access to the internet. Nice. Do you have anything to to add on to that, Richard? Oh, it's great. I I, I agree with you, Tim. And uh, a couple of you know the best people I've worked with have been had had no degree, and they were incredibly tactical and um, hadn't been through a formal engineering program or or even formal developer uh, program. And um, but I think that combination of personality and curiosity and, and being in the right environment to unlock it is really powerful. Um, at the same time, you know, just to bring it back to the data lens that we're here to talk about for those interested in such such wonderful things. Um, there's also like just a really important organizational quality that you need to people, uh, I think, in data roles. Um, it's just it's so easy and and key to my question today is, you know, it's so easy for things to get out of hand if it, they're not structured well. And uh, I find that that's oftentimes a big difference between people that I might prefer to have on an R&D team versus on like, you know, a, a building systems for scale team. They're, they're different personalities where you, you need some of the same qualities, but you also need to be super organized and able to think clearly in advance about what you're doing. Whereas in an R&D environment, maybe you, you don't need that quite as much. It's kind of, kind of like a recipe, right? Is you, you've got all of these ingredients and, and the person represents each of those different ingredients and each of those ingredients um, are important to the final outcome or the end goal. Um, but each of those ingredients has to play their part and know their part to be able to formulate that work together to, to, to work towards that outcome. And, you know, it, it also then gets us into that diversity conversation as well in terms of cognitive diversity, personality diversity across those teams to get the right mix as opposed to, you know, leaders who may want, you know, 10 superstars or 10 A players um, in a 10-person team, which... Um, you know, could be a recipe for uh, for disaster at, at some point in time. Yeah, and, and the idea that uh, the superstars were born that way is always a bias. You know, it's a retrospective bias because you don't have any insight as to where they came from or how they got that that good at what they're doing. And oftentimes, it's the coaching and the the mentorship that is so key to building that team. So that's one of the beautiful things about having diverse teams is getting the the out of the echo chamber and getting a diversity of opinions um but then also being able to develop everyone because of that diversity of opinions you know everyone gets to benefit from thinking differently about problem or something like that um and yeah the 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 cooking analogy is a good one say specifically for baking especially right because try (laughs) try baking a souffle you know without, without a rising agent or you know it's such a precise recipe that you need um you can't just you know chuck in a bunch more salt to cover up the taste i can't bake so i think anything i bake would be a disaster anyway (laughs) (laughs) but that that um nicely brings us on to your um statement or you know the statement that you brought forward richard which is 
um, the importance of understanding data architecture for scalability. Um, do you want to mm. give us a bit more insight into that? Yeah, happy to. And and for those who are on the technical side that might be listening, you know, the technical managers and stuff, I, I think they'll really resonate with the the idea around um, having great structure saves you pain down the road and it's an easy thing to to forget or to race ahead and start immediately prototyping things and skunk working systems and and then inheriting that tech debt and never paying it off and ending up paying so much more pain in the long term than you would be if you'd architected it right in the first place and i think when you're looking for people in especially a design role, that's so important to have uh, a team and especially leadership as well that understands and promotes good design practices from day one and make sure that the architecture is scalable from the beginning. Now, does that mean that it needs to be completely thought through to the very last degree? No, not necessarily. But I think that's where experience comes in, in, in knowing what are the right things to invest time in building for scale early on and what can be kicked down the line for later. Um, and so there's a big question around different roles in the organization and seniority and things like that. So I think to add context to it, if you're hiring for like senior design roles, you know, that, that it's super important that you dig really deeply into how they've taken a system from zero data points to something at scale and if they haven't done it before how would they do it and what are the biggest risks and i like thinking so my background is actually medical devices before i got into what i'm doing today so we often think through the lens of risk and you know you can easily apply that to things like data volume um performance um you know real-time processing capability security fault tolerance and recovery, all those things that that can be related to building a system either very scalable or one that's going to fall apart, you can start from the beginning and start to put a, a, a risk process around what are the things that'll make the wheels fall off and what won't, and then invest in those things that are really important early on and, and defer the ones that are later. But I think it takes somebody that's quite experienced or, or mature to, you know, have, have been able to do that on the junior side it's not so much about that it's more it's more about again the way that they think around um maybe they don't know the answers on how to build something to to, to scale but again reversing that process of what are the components that are important when something does need to scale up you know how does injecting if you, if you triple your customer count overnight triple the data going into the system What's that going to do? And and if you get a blank face, that's not a good sign, right? You don't need them to necessarily know the answer, but just, you know, start brainstorming, hypothesize, you know, what are the things that could go wrong? Um, and likewise, you know, performance, what, what are the, if you triple that input data, um, what's going to fall apart that will potentially degrade the end user experience? Uh, and those aren't easy questions because every system is quite different. They're really hard questions. But I find that when I'm looking for people to join the team, the ones that always do the best, the, again, the curious ones that, that will brainstorm and be like, well, I don't know, but here's some ideas on what could go wrong. 
And I think the only thing that I see that that limits that is oftentimes people are just afraid. They're for whatever reason they're afraid of putting themselves out there and being wrong. And sometimes that's based on past experience and having negative teams, and negative managers, and negative parents. All the way you can go all the way back to the beginning, right? People that are just afraid of of、uh, being told that they're wrong. But if you want to build really awesome, scalable systems, you have to have a team that's you know got a, a failure is okay culture, you know blameless culture,、yep. and you fix it and you move on.、Um, and those people can do really really well. Sorry, I rambled for a little while, but that's, that's a lot. <laughs> that's all right. What are, what what <laughs> are your podcasts、thoughts? are all about, aren't they? I mean, that's people <laughs> people expect. What What are your thoughts,、um, Tim? Look,、uh, yeah, look, I, I、um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm very complimentary myself to that point of view as well.、Um, you know, a lot of、um, the work in the data space for businesses is is you're starting from a, a low base, and you know, you'll generally get. One of two different kinds of of data journey. One will be、uh, heavily involved in in trying to lift and shift a, a ton of data from an old on premise solution to probably more of a cloud based solution from a migration point of view. And、um, the the roadmap or the pathway to value is very very long because it's just、uh, you're basically just moving house.、Um, and then on the other side, you're building from a yeah. You know, it could be from scratch. And I think yeah. It,、uh, Sometimes you know there is always a、um, a risk that people become very transactional and 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 doing just what their role is or or what their specific、um, you know、uh, expertise is、um, as part of their role in a business. But、um, I think you know all too often that importance around building a solid foundation with the right assumptions made in the construction of that. Is super super important because even if I think about the stuff we're doing here at Nova, right? We there's some greenfield elements to what we're doing, but part of my job as a leader of that team and as a, as a leader of those initiatives is to be thinking ahead to go, what might we be anticipating in the next one year, two years, three year horizon? What does that look like if if we you know if, if our audience continues to grow at, at X percent every year like it does right now? What does that mean that we then need to be able to do if we start to generate more customer data or insights out of this platform? How do we make sure that、um, we're thinking about the fact that we need to talk to the team over there because they're going to need one or two more people to sit on the back of it? So you know, it 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 does take yeah a little bit of confidence from individuals to be able to ask those questions、um, if they don't fully understand that. And I think that goes a bit back to my earlier point around、um, you know the. Not your usual sort of candidates for some of those roles because you want them to think about the bigger picture. You want them to lean in and understand what needs to get done, but sit right back and go, okay, when the business changes and evolves around us, what is that going to mean for this product or service or、um, capability that we're building、um, right here? But what it does, depending on the structure which、uh, of your business and how. Where data sits, it can be challenging.、Um, I know, you know, if you're working in a, a business which is traditionally siloed and you're trying to run、uh, and build a data service that that services multiple functions,、um, it can be really hard sometimes for to find the right people to be able to yeah push themselves out, put themselves in the shoes of the other functions, and look at what needs to be done.、Um, but yeah, that scalability piece I think sometimes comes back to also the fact that. 
if we think about the majority of people in our businesses, depending on the profile of our business, um, you know, their KPI and target cycles are three, you know, quarterly, half yearly, yearly. Whereas a lot of the stuff we want to do with data is, is you know, how do we build something that continues to deliver value and grow across the next three, four, five, ten years um, within the business. So yeah, it, it's finding the right people who understand enough about business to be able to cover those right assumptions is important. If you've got yeah, curious uh, junior people and you've got very switched on leader who can challenge them on some of those assumptions and make sure that the right things are in place and yeah, that's all super, super important because the last thing you want to be is is a data leader or a data person coming into a business where you're having to rip down and, and rebuild um, what someone put together before with that, with it, where they didn't have the right level of insight or foresight about what those business needs might change to over time. Yeah, I'll, I'll add, Tim, you know, I think one thing that's probably underrated early on in, in building good data systems is cost. It's very easy to make decisions early on that uh, seem acceptable until you start to scale them up and you realize the cost is going to blow out. Um, and so, you know, simple things like choosing which type of storage to use for different types of data, you know, leveraging real-time databases versus non-real-time um, and then also ar- archival, you know, because storage costs money. All those things really come into play when when you want to find somebody who can help guide you through that, you know, either as a leader or as a team member. Um, yeah, cost is king because it's. I've seen it actually put some companies out of business or or really close to it, um, you know, right to the brink, because they actually become victims of their own success. Suddenly, what worked when they had a few customers or a few users or, you know, only only a million listeners. Um, you know, it doesn't work when, when that number quadruples or, or whatever. And, and um, that's unfortunately also something that all of the technology providers know. And I don't think that they're unethical or anything, but I think that they've just gamed their pricing structures in ways to, you know, effectively make sure that they get really sticky in, in your system and you don't replace them and that's that's cool I get that we do that too um, but I think you have to be aware of it from the beginning if you're going to be consuming that service yeah I think you, yeah, you have to through the tech procurement process you kind of have to be cruel to be kind I think a little bit and, and, yeah. and not be afraid to push the vendors on a lot of that modeling and the business value metrics that come off the back of it and you know look the, the cloud was very much one of those cases right we'll just move everything to the cloud it'll be super cheap and and now what we have is the emergence of the FinOps role um, or hmm. FinOps as a practice because um, whilst everyone believed it was cheap to move to the cloud um, all of this unmonitored activity and the continual um, you know spin up of new services has just blown out of out of control and all of a sudden you know operations in the cloud are actually costing a lot more as what than what they used to through traditional legacy on-premise systems um so it's yeah it's uh there's a lot uh, there's always a lot to think about um and you yeah you've got to have the people to be able to think about those things up front and actually do the math and, and have that longer term view to say well you know if we this happens over time then then we anticipate the cost is going to increase by this and you know, when you're having that conversation back with the CFO, you know, you obviously want to manage that very carefully as well, right? You know, if we pay 
X amount a year for a million listeners, and then next year we want to be at two million listeners, then that X needs to to times by two um, in most cases, and it might take three, four, five years before we can make sure that you know the correlative increase in audience doesn't always equal the correlative increase in cost. Yeah, totally agree. And there's just so many great free and cheap tools to use. It can be very tempting for developers to lock into something just because it's new and shiny and it's fun to play with. Uh, and then once you cross the threshold of where it starts charging, you know, heads start to turn and heads start to roll. Well, all right, great, great insights there, um, guys. But I also want to find out, I mean, this would be, you know, a great input from the both of you guys. What is the right attitude or pathway when um, scalability matters? Do you want to kick us off there, Richard? The right attitude? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think that we, we covered the curiosity piece. Uh, I think there's something else that I, I had in the back of my head, too, around accountability and ownership. So I think that's something else that I think can be really important when you're managing third-party data. Uh, that's today one of the biggest risks in, in, I guess, just data architecture and engineering generally is access and security. And I think in order to best mitigate that or just one of the important things in mitigating the risk of, of a security breach or data loss or, or God forbid, ransom attacks and things like that, is for the data team to feel like they own the data, to feel like they're accountable for it. And and you have to give them the authority for that, which can be obviously scary as well. But I think in terms of attitude, they, they should have the attitude that they are the the key holders and, and they are, you know, the shepherds of someone else's very valuable data. Um, and I find because most SaaS software businesses, at least, you know, in, in, in my wheelhouse um, are managing lots of third-party data, not not just financial services data, not credit cards and things necessarily. But we've seen what happens when even just name and address and a little bit of info from your driver's license gets released. It's it's absolute, it's hectic. And so I, I have ac- actually had, you know, issues and conflicts before with people who did not take that seriously. And I think, you know, because it's very... It's very ethereal. It's very kind of hands-off sometimes for some people to be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, that's just, it's just a bit of data. How can that hurt? Um, but then, know. you know, but that attitude's changed a lot in the last few years, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, look, I think that the whole duty of care, not only to your work, but to the responsibility you have um, is really important. I think, you know, some of that sometimes can be in, impacted by um, the style of leadership you have as well so you know it's all about you know as a leader going well you know you're the expert in this area or you're the person i'm i'm tasking and giving ownership of this area so you know you you need to display and and show signals which indicate that your attitude is is really focused on the fact that you know this is really important to manage right and if something goes wrong you know then you need to be able to put your hand up and, and come to me as a leader and say, this has happened. You know, we, we've, we've taken these precautions. This has happened. This is eventuated. This is what we're going to do. 
um, we're going to go and do it um, or fix it and we'll come back to you to do that. And I think that for us, I think is it comes back to us trying to get people to really understand the context behind the work that they do as well. So they, they have a little bit more of a, a buy-in and a care for the fact that, you know, yeah, if, if we have a first-party data breach, God forbid, um, you know, the, the, the ramifications of that is it's huge. You know, the, the economy might be tough and you might be um, ultra sort of uh, high, more concerned at this point in time about job security, but we're giving you ownership of this. And, and if you don't take that seriously, then, um, you know, there can be repercussions for the business and, and repercussions for the individual. So it's kind of, it's, it is a bit of a maturity test as well. Um, I think, you know, there's some, um, you know, the, the range of profiles of individuals coming through um, out of university into the workforce is varying because of the, the more broad in nature, um, you know, accessibility of things and exposure to things across the world, which, you know, as a kid, I never had because I never had a mobile phone until I was 16. But, um, you know, that attitude is, is key, you know, someone who wants to come in, they want to own what they're doing, take responsibility, all of these simple things that are so transferable to every aspect of your life. So, um, you know, again, probably links back to the conversation around soft skills is people who, you know, and I think, you know, the more and more we go in business, the more and more that sort of load and accountability has to be shared um, long-term because we still have to understand that there's ramifications if, if, we do the wrong thing or we don't do the right thing um so yeah it it is super super important that your team has the right attitude and everyone within that team has the right attitude and if you have people who aren't displaying that and and, uh ostracizing themselves a little bit or isolating then um and not taking it seriously you kind of have to have that conversation with them before it's too late yeah so with with that then would you guys say like who do you guys think is easier to manage or work with? Is it, you know, the juniors that don't really have much experience but have like an open mind or, you know, that person that has the curiosity or somebody that's had, you know, the experience and then, you know, coming into the team? What what are you guys' experiences with that? Oh, so that's a very personality-based question too, right? So Tim and I, Tim, although now you're on my naughty list because you made me feel old. I didn't have a mobile phone until I was 19. <laughs> um, so now I feel old. But uh, yeah, I think that's, for, for me, I'm I'm an engineer by training and I think it, it matches my personality well. And so I tend to really enjoy working with highly technical people yeah. that are um, just super curious. And so the, I do like, coaching and working with juniors they could be a completely blank slate and know nothing but if they're curious and they want to learn stuff i'm game like i'm i'm there for it i'll teach yeah. them as much as they want to know or, or give them time to to learn things um and so in in terms of like more senior people mid-career and 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 later um it kind of switches a little bit mm-hmm. and it's like you know you you, you you then prefer to work with people who are ninja weapons for that specialized thing that they do also open-minded and you know willing to to look at new things but like they'll, they'll just take it and then run with it and own it and communicate well with you about it um so i think it really does depend on your personality and also that stage of the career in terms of um cause, cause let's let's try and invert it right so 
let's do that exact inversion. If you work with somebody super junior, young, uh, and thinks they know it all, they don't. Yeah. And that's it's, a problem. <laughs> and that's a problem, right? Yeah. And then and flip it around. You work with somebody who's mid-late career and is so open-minded that they can't fin- finish anything because they just want to learn everything. Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work no, the wage yeah. that you're paying them, right? So maybe I'm a bit biased in terms of what also works for the business. Yeah. And you also too? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because my background, I grew up on a dairy farm. I milked cows until I was 18 years old on, the, on mom and dad's dairy farm. And then... Um, my first job out of university was a sales job. So um, I've come from probably more of the um, curiosity. Selling milk? Selling milk, milk, yeah. I I also at university did a lot of uh, uh, contract jobs within the the milk factory making various different products, um, which was amazing pay at at that age and and paid um, my way through um, all those extracurricular activities that you get involved in at university. Um, but yeah, came out of, out of university into a sales role um, where where my, my boss there pretty much said, you're a smart guy, I'll give you some rope, you figure it out. Um, and I figured it out and, and used, I guess, what I learned on the farm to do that. So I've come and been coming into data from the other side, really. Um, so I still believe that, you know, for me, it's either you get the young and curious who are eager and willing to learn and, and open-minded and, and willing to, to accept that, you know, they know something, but they can know more, um, or you hire the top of the top. Um, you know, you, if you muck around in the middle, you're kind of probably going to end up um, with some things to deal with that you may have wanted to avoid. So, yeah, hire, hire the young and curious with an aim to, to bring them up, give them up, give them opportunity exposure to things that um, others there, there of their same experience um, may not get access to. Uh, we had a, a data engineer here at Nova and he was one of the key leads on an analysis that we did between Snowflake and Databricks uh, and an RFP we ran there and he said, I would have never got this opportunity at any other business that I'd have been at. And, you know, this is his first full role as a, as a data engineer. Um, or then, yeah, the, the top of the top, because me, even me as a leader, I don't know everything. Um, you know, I, I can help coordinate people with lots of different backgrounds and capabilities to, to work together and deliver uh, solutions and outcomes. But uh, ultimately, you know, um, you, you lean on the experts and, I still want to learn. I'm still curious too. So working with smart people like that is is helpful, helpful for me um, in that. So, but yeah, it, some of it too depends on the business, right? And I'm still very much a, a believer in horses for courses. Uh, and depending on your current state of maturity or your start current state of evolution in certain areas of your business, then you're going to have people out there who are the right fit for that phase of business. And that might be two years. And when that phase is over. Um, they're no longer the right people um, and you go out and you, you find others to come in and, and fill that spot as you move into the next phase okay great um, do you guys have anything else to, to add to to that or on today's topic Look, I think the, the last sort of thing for me to add is you know we talked a lot about curiosity which is super super important but you know if, if you're interested in the data space then I think you know look at uh, you know, tools like LinkedIn, which are incredibly powerful. Um, you know, don't be afraid to share your opinion because, you know, yes, not everyone's going to agree with it, but um, perspective is important. Um, and 
you know, you've got access to all of these kind of things. There's, if you want to be a data leader or you want to play a role in a big data project, then there's tools and um, platforms out there that you can use to connect with other people in this space, learn from other people, teach yourself. You know, there's there's nothing that's going to stop you from becoming, you know, a, an expert or, or or well sort of versed in the area of data except your, your own motivation and desire to do that. Yeah, and, and I would just add, you know, uh, data is a huge opportunity. This access that we have now is opening entirely new worlds of things that we can do, and we're seeing it every day. But it's also our opportunity to play a part in it. And um, that's super exciting to me. And I think anyone that's interested in getting into the field, as Tim said, has a huge wealth of information at their fingertips. Uh, and if they see the potential magic in what they can do with data, Oh, it's a really exciting time to get involved. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that brings us to the end of our topic for today. And once again, I'd like to say, you know, a huge thank you to my guests for today for sharing their thoughts and um, on today's topic. Topic. Um, and just to um, you know, go through that again. My guests for today were um, Tim Armstrong from Nova Entertainment as well as um, Richard Savoy and from um, Adiona. Um, I'm Vanolia. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.